You're listening to the PT Profit Podcast, episode number 67. Today, I'm sitting down with David Gray, and we're talking all about the importance of lower body training. Are you ready? Let's get started. Hi, I'm Beverly Simpson, former fitness manager turned online personal training business owner. And this podcast is where smart fitness professionals, including trainers and clinicians, discover how to increase client performance in movement, package and position their products and services and get out of their own way so that they can increase their revenue to live a life that they love without sleazy sales. Welcome to the PT Profit Podcast. Thank you so much for pressing play on another episode of the PT Profit Podcast. If this is your first time here, welcome. I'm your host, Beverly Simpson. And today I'm super excited because I sat down with David Gray, who is a neuromuscular physical therapist specializing in rehabilitation and performance. He's based out of Ireland and we sat down and chatted all about things related to lower body core. We just can't help ourselves because we're, we both love talking about marketing. So we uh, also talked a little bit about Instagram growth and talked a little bit about marketing. David works with clients from all over the world, from office workers to Olympians, professional athletes competing in highest level in their perspective sports. David's research and training has brought him across the globe, learning from some of the greatest minds in movement, strength and conditioning, gymnastics, stretching and mobility, Chinese martial arts, and biomechanics. He integrates many systems and methods and takes a holistic approach to helping people get out of pain and improve performance. David has spoken and delivered workshops internationally and regularly coaches and consults for some of the best minds in the industry. So without further ado, let's go ahead and roll that interview. What's up, David? Thanks so much for joining me today. How are you? I'm very good, Beverly. Thank you very much for having me. It's uh, it's good to come on and chat, so I'm looking forward to it. I really am looking forward to it. I feel like our paths have been linked for a while, but just never crossed. So this is I'm super pumped about this. Yeah, today is the day. Yeah, that's right. So for those of you who don't know who you are, can you please share a little bit about what it is that you do, who you are, who you serve, and how you got there? Yes, big first question. Uh, hardest question. I, I say that on every podcast, by far the hardest question. Um, so I'm, I'm in Ireland. Um, I'm, I'm a neuromuscular physical therapist, and I kind of mostly work with a range of people actually it's it's it changes all the time a little bit but it's it's kind of people in pain all the way through the rehab process and into spills into the performance world a little bit as well and then there's kind of so that could be that could be anyone that could be a granny that could be someone who's who's just looking to feel and move a little bit better or a professional athlete or an olympian or whatever so um i i kind of enjoy working with all all people but it is mostly people who are trying to be quite active or more active than they like they have ambitions to maybe be able to go for a run it doesn't have to be a world record pace or whatever but just just to be able to enjoy their bodies and stuff and they are the people that I really like working with so um how we got there that's uh it's been a it's, it's a long story but it's probably like 
being a frustrated athlete myself in Ireland and spending a lot of time trying to play Gaelic football and hurling, which are Irish sports and rugby and soccer and stuff like that. But, um, and, and it getting injured quite a bit, which I think is a lot of, a lot of coaches and therapists probably story as well, you know, so getting injured a lot and just being really frustrated with how, how I was being treated and the answers I was being given and and like just completely dissatisfied with that so I kind of decided I was going to try and figure it out for myself a little bit and um, travel the world a little bit and started to do a lot of reading and studying and experimentation more than anything else just trying a bit of everything and seeing what felt right and what sounded right and what was logical and I, I kind of I'm very happy that I went about it that way like I learned anatomy through going to courses and saying like okay, I don't know what, uh, I don't actually know what a glute does, but when I do this movement, I know my glute feels good. I know this area feels good. So I wasn't confined by what maybe the book was telling me was right. It was more like I could, I, I developed an eye, I suppose, to start to see other people's movement quite well and not put labels on it too soon. And um, that was with my own movement as well. So that's kind of how I got into it. And I just spent about 10 years working hard on that and now i'm kind of in a position where i'm always i'm always learning but i'm lucky enough to work with some really top people and um help a lot of people around the world which is pretty cool and a lot of that is online as well so that's kind of that's kind of the, the backstory i love that so now i'm just curious when did you get hurt and mm. what was some of the co- uh, what was some of the common advice that you kept receiving that caused you to say no there's got to be something else out there yeah so I was so even before I was getting hurt. Let's say I was I was a I was never moving like I I felt I should be moving. I always felt like I was a a six foot male trapped in a five foot nine male's body. Like I just didn't have enough space there. There wasn't enough room, Um, and I was always trying to find ways to get more room and stretching and foam rolling and do get massage and dry needling and all of these different things. And yeah, it might feel good for a little while, but it never stuck, you know. So that that was very frustrating in terms of it felt like it was limiting my performance. And then I did something a little bit um, I did something a little bit silly. I went on a I went on a trip to the States uh, with my friends when we were in in, uh, in uni. So kind of in in the summer, in the summer holidays, Irish people go to go to the States and, and work in all kinds of jobs and just pretty much spend the whole summer drinking. But um, I got on a I got on a, a little moped and um, I fell off it and hurt my knee. And I came back and pl- started playing sport again within a few weeks at a relatively high level and um, developed pretty bad patellar tendinopathy. But... The, the advice I was getting was crazy like there was a lot of rest a lot of stretching a lot of like don't let your knees go forward over your toes or even past your ankle at all um like very small loads your glutes are weak all of these things and it was just complete it was it was insane like when I look back it was no it was no loading the actual area that was that was sore and was was obviously the quads were obviously significantly inhibited from that trauma you know and it was just incredibly frustrating so um so like all the you see all the people doing sissy squats and all this knees over toes stuff now I started doing that myself eight nine years ago when I figured out the physios didn't have a clue what they were talking about like some of the people that I was seeing so I was like actually when I do this movement my knee feels better and it started to play around with that so that seems to come into vogue now which is good but um 
was it was it was my experimentation myself first i felt it you know so yeah loads of bad advice but i think that's getting that's getting better now but maybe that's just people that i tend to i was that i tend to see that's your scope because when we look at it on a big grander scheme i mean the only thing that i can compare it to for myself is you know the postpartum experience which when i which happened to me when i in 2015 Mm -hmm. and and it was just surprising to me how much bad advice is still to this day being shared with people so i was just curious about that and also (laughs) you fell off a moped i'm so sorry you want that to be like hey i'm an athlete and i have a war here (laughs) like a war (laughs) yeah i just silly yeah I have a few, I have a few war stories as well, but uh, not on that one. Uh, so yeah, that's, uh, I actually don't tell that story that much, but it's, um, yeah, it's a, it's a shameful moment, but <laughs> I have a lot of regrets around that. Like I was never going to be a superstar athlete by any means, not a, not a chance, but I didn't, didn't get a chance to fulfill my potential, whatever that was. And I have regrets around that, but also it's kind of led me down this path, which has mm-hmm. made my life a lot better and hopefully a lot of other people's as well. So, so um, obviously every, you, you can't change one thing and keep everything else in your life. You know, if you could go back and click your fingers and say, I'll change that, but nothing else would change. Maybe I'd change that, but I know that's definitely not how things work, you know? Uh, no, for sure. Which is, you know, it's a great segue because it did happen in your lower body, right? And you were talking mm-hmm. all about those things, like the knees, the sissy squats, and, and mm-hmm. you know, people tell you that glutes not firing, which is probably what led, part of what led to your lower body course. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. So it's it's basically when COVID hit last year, we were we were, I was doing a lot of online work before that, but it was in a one-to-one space. Like it was, it was someone, someone with an athlete from wherever, whatever organization would, our, our regular Joe Soap would, would do a call with me and we'd figure out some things they needed to work on. But then COVID hit and um, my schedule was absolutely jammed because I was one of the only people doing online stuff and, and a lot of the in-person stuff wasn't, people weren't able to do that anymore. So I had to kind of figure out a way to scale these things so I was just like right what about bringing out a program that's like here's the things that I think everyone should be able to do regardless of who you are like we all have bones that are the same shape or very similar shapes that can access and can move in certain directions they can all our hips can all should be able to flex and extend and adduct and abduct and externally rotate and internally rotate like so while we are very different, we're all very, very similar in, in, in some ways as well. So I just created a program there that like, hopefully before someone comes to me, here's the things I'd love you to be able to do so we can really get to work, you know? So we, uh, that thing kind of exploded then and there's been 5,000 people from over 50 countries have done it, which is pretty cool. And we've had a couple of programs since then, but all of them principles exactly that I picked up over the years, just, just plugged it into that program. I, I wrote, I wrote that program in 48 hours or sorry, in about one hour and, and filmed it on my iPhone five. Mm-hmm. Um, which when I look back now is a bit cringy, but like, I just did it. I didn't wait for it to be perfect. And so people will say, geez, that program, like you kind of overnight success with that program is like, no, like, one person commented on uh, when I released the core program, they said, oh, you made, because I said how many people bought it in the first 48 hours. And he said, oh, you made X amount of money in 48 hours. I won't say how much, but he, um, and I said, well, 
you you would not believe how much money I've actually spent on trying to figure out all this stuff over the last 10 years. So, um, so yeah, it feels like a little bit of payback is on the way, which is well overdue. Yeah, no, you know, it's funny. It's funny. You know, people think that, you know, overnight success does overnight, but it took 10 years to become an overnight success, you know? Yeah. So, cause it's a combination, it's a combination of all the things that you have been learning over the years. So I'd love for you to share a little bit. Cause you, you mentioned that there are some certain print, there are certain principles and things that you want people to essentially have mastered before they come and see you, which is what you put in the program. So mm-hmm. would you mind sharing what, what are some of the principles that you're looking for before someone starts to work with you yeah i will i will i'll try and keep it as simple as possible um not for you but for maybe some of the listeners but uh you you know sometimes uh sometimes these things can be very visual so like a podcast can be tricky on that so i'll try and keep it as simple as possible some principles that we i like i like to i pretty much will work on with with everyone is well there's basic things which is like progressive overload so basic strength and conditioning principles which is we just stress tissues over time and and if we do it the right amount they'll adapt but then in terms of biomechanical principles one big one would be trying to get hip extension before knee extension so a lot of people instead of being able to access hip extension which is a very like good glute max that can really push us forward instead what you'll see time and time and time again is they get a lot of back extension instead so their erectors and all their the muscles around their lower back really start to take over and it's, it's almost like a fake hip, hip extension so you'll see that and that co- kind of couples with a knee extension so the knee really straightens too soon and the back really arches because they can't really access this hip extension from the glutes so that's one big thing um, and that's that's something that a lot of people have learned from that program and the the it ties in with another principle then of, of learning to be able to get co-contractions around the knee joint so there's a traditional way of thinking about muscles which is an agonist and an antagonist so mm-hmm. i have my hamstring i have my quad one contracts one relax one relaxes one lengthens one shortens but in real world movement it's not quite as simple as that because we don't have time especially as especially as time constraints are started to put on our movement so as speed of movement increases are the environment are there's environmental constraints are the environment has changed so suddenly i'm stepping on rocks and all of these things as i go for a walk or a run now my muscles have to they don't have time to say okay, we're going after your foot has hit the floor. Now I'm going to deal with the perturbations that are coming into my body after that. I'm going to, I'm going to feel that. And then I'm going to, I'm going to try and contract then that doesn't really work in real world. So what the, what you'll usually observe and what we want to observe is all the muscles around given joints will contract together, even, even before my foot hits the floor and that's kind of like a bracing mechanism to keep the joint safe. So it'll ha- happen around my ankle, my knee, my hip, my spine, everywhere. And it happens at different times and they turn on and off. And a lot of people, what you'll see, especially around the knee joint, is that they cannot get that to happen. So the hamstring, the quad and the gastroc can't actually contract together to stabilize the knee. And they end up with this like wobbly knee. Um, 
and it's very different to traditional how people would see traditional strength training because i can strengthen my quad isolated i can strengthen my hamstring isolated and my calf isolated but that doesn't mean that the intermuscular coordination of the, the three muscles or the, or the whole group of muscles and the chain is going to be able to coordinate and time well together when it needs to it just means that they might be strong individually so mm that's a that's a big big thing and a lot of the a lot of the things in the program are designed to help people re retrain that intramuscular coordination not necessarily inter and intra but not isolated muscle not that there's anything wrong with strengthening isolated muscles but when we get everything working well together people feel amazing and very quickly because it's more it's more a little bit more neuro than muscular probably at that stage too I see. So when we're talking about co-contractions, which is essentially what I feel like you broke down for us was how you train your co-contractions. Mm -hmm. Now you'll have people, are these, are these uh, exercises or accessory work? Is it something that you need to do in isolation or what about those people that are like, Oh, you just need to do functional movement and, you know, just squat, just do the big five and then you'll be okay. Yeah. Good so, question. Yeah. <laughs> It's, I, I, I suppose it depends, but in the program, they, the movements like that make up a big part of the program. And I think they come before squatting and things like that. Well, it, it, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to tackle this in a few ways. When you say people just need to do functional movement and or when people say that, one, I have a question, what is functional? It depends on the task, right? What we, what we actually want to do. And two is... I would not consider the big five, like your squat, your press, your lunge, your row, or whatever the hell else people put in there as, as our basic movements in any way, shape or form. There are our movements that we have kind of a God-given right to do and, and is ingrained in our DNA are walking, running and throwing and breathing. Mm -hmm. There are movements. And then everything else, every other pattern that you can think of falls into those patterns in some way or another. But our basic movements are the gait cycle. Everyone, if you look at everyone squatting, they'll squat in a million billion different ways. Mm -hmm. And some people can squat, some people can't squat low, like all different things. People, some squatting and lunging and all these gym movements, they're, 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 especially squatting we might even take out squatting but all the other ones they're they're a few hundred years old mm -hmm. they're not they're not very old they, they were invented with the gym pretty much <laughs> um whereas there's a reason why every single human being in the history of the world almost has st stood up and walked on two feet mm -hmm. and they, they just did it no not many babies or toddlers decided to walk on their hands mm -hmm. You know, because this is just it's 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 in our neuroanatomy, it's embedded there. So we have to pay respect to these things and make sure we're good at these things. And if we're good at them, we'll be we'll be we can train the gym stuff and we can get good at that too. If we get good at the gym stuff without paying respect to the gate cycle and all of that stuff, that's when people run into massive problems. So I would say I break down that and then say okay, are you good at this or not? And if you're not, then you probably need to make the, the co-contraction stuff and that stuff, the gate cycle stuff, a bigger part of your program. Mm, that's so good. So you said 
now just out of curiosity and that that's really good but how do you know when someone's good at it good question um assessment so it all comes back to assessment so sometimes to be honest we don't even have an assessment in the program though because the asset the exercises are the assessments so basically when we put someone into a position and they can't they i have a target of 45 seconds and they cramp within three seconds we can be fairly sure that they're not good at it so they can't do it or which we, we say right here's the movement to, we're going to use to open up your hips or get your hips moving and shifting in this way and they can't move half an inch then we know they probably need more of that so that's that's the easiest way of assessing i think it is i think as a people a lot of people's assessment is is quite i don't want to say poor but um quite limited because they're they've been taught right do your toe touch do your side bends do your extension movements do your table test but they don't necessarily know what they're seeing when they see that they just say okay do your toe touch you can't touch your toes and that must mean x y and z but the reason i can't touch my toes might be different to why you can't touch your toes and why a million other people can't touch their toes very different things so we can actually break down in our assessments what's going on and for for me that's that's become quite easy but but just just because it's part of how i view movement not not necessarily because i'm amazing or anything just this is how I view movement. So these are the things I'm actually looking out for. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So when I watch someone doing a squat, I want to see how quickly they do extend their knee or if they do extend, use more of their hip extensors to, to stand back up again and, and things like that. So it, it, you assess it in every movement, but it just depends on what, what works best for that person, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I do. Okay. So I know I interjected a question when we were talking about the co-contraction. So I just want to make sure that I circle back and make sure that we answered all of the principles that you usually are looking for when you, before they come to you. Yeah. Yeah. So then, so what did we say? We said hip extension before back extension and hip extension before knee extension, which is pretty much getting being able to get co-contractions um, around the knee joint. They are two big ones. Being able to breathe is another one, mm. which might sound funny to some people, um, but just being able to get expansion into all different parts of the rib cage. Um, that's that's obviously a big one. And then just being strong in these in gait specific position specific positions. So like when I'm in a position where if you, if you are a runner and your knee joint is at whatever degrees of flexion, I'm not good at degrees, but a certain amount of degree of, of flexion or extension when your foot hits the floor in mid stance. Well, if I put you into a position that looks like that with a little bit of load or a little bit of your heel is off the floor, or maybe you're lying on your back and, and, your foot is against the wall, but that, that we're, we're kind of mimicking that position in terms of the leg. Can you be strong there? So can you be strong in the positions that you, you want to be, you want to actually use in your, in your life? So that's another one. And very, very specific with the positions that I load people in, but also very unspecific. So I will get people to squat and deadlift, but I just may want to make sure that they can do both and not just, okay, now I'm going to squat and now I'm going to go for a run so I, I like someone wants to be someone wants to get back to running after a lot of injuries and they think that they're going to squat and then just go for a run 
uh, <laughs> after six weeks of squatting, I'm just going to be fine and able to run again because I'm strong, quotation or whatever that quotation marks. Um, I'm, I'm strong now again. But that's not in any way specific to how you're actually going to move. So another principle then will be bridging the gap along that rehab rehab process so making sure that we can take small logical steps along the way so if you want to be able to run you should be able to do a, a hop if you want to be able to do a hop you should be able to do some small little jump uh, through the air and forward if you want to be able to do that you should be able to do a jump on the spot if you want to be able to do that you should be able to stand on one leg if you want to be able to do that you should be able to x y and z and we can just keep bringing it back and back and back so that's um that's it so just logical progressions is one um very strong and very specific positions is another one being able to breathe and expand and compress different parts of the rib cage is another one um having access to to enough range of motion is another one Act, um active and passive getting hip extension before back extension is another one and then hip extension before knee extension they're probably the things that i want everyone to be able to do mm. so now um, this kind of begs the question then, and I'm going to assume that this is one of the indicators that you use to navigate this, which is the pain, the, the when people say I'm in pain, right? So that mm -hmm. that's how they're navigating whether or not they're progressing or not, right? Mm -hmm. So I'm just curious. So I'm assuming that, which is leading to this question, which is I'm curious, two things is how... When you're dealing with people, how many of them get into self-deception and they're like, oh, no, no, yeah, I'm not, I'm not in pain. I'm just pushing through, you know, because athletes, we're, we are, it's embedded and ingrained in us to push past points of our threat, you know, to test our thresholds and our limits, which is different mm -hmm. than mm -hmm. most people. Mm -hmm. So I'm curious how many people are, are honest with themselves, honest with you and how you navigate that. And then also with that pain, the second thing is when, when you get that pain feedback, are you looking for it while they're doing the movement or after? Yeah. Um, firstly, no one is honest with themselves <laughs> ever, <laughs> uh, including me. Um, we're all living in this kind of reality that we, we think is true, but it's slightly skewed i would say are very skewed for some people so um that that um that like with regards pain for athletes that's a good thing and a bad thing so like i fell victim to that i i ignored my pain or, or i felt it but i just kept pushing on for a long 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 time many years and i ended up with so many other issues in my body because i did that but also i i see people on the other end of the scale where it's like they get the smallest little one out of 10 pain and, and they just say, nope, I'm not doing anything, which we know is not right either. So I guess that's back to the therapist definitely to guide that person through it and say, right, here's, here's how much is too much roughly here's it's, it's about education. I think like here's, and, and that, that goes by the, it might go by the injury or the pathology or the mechanism of the injury as well. So like, we know with a tendinopathy, a little bit of pain is probably not a bad thing. But then with some other things, it's like, okay, we need to back off here a little bit. So very much, it very much depends. No one is honest with themselves. And that's a big thing. Like with our, with our assessment, your initial assessment with someone, it's trying to be, it's trying to find out, people won't even be honest with you when they say like, why they're coming to you for a session. 
mm-hmm. because they don't know themselves. Mm-hmm. So they'll say, oh, I'm coming to you because I'm in pain. I'm in back. I have back pain. But you might actually dig deeper and they'll say, well, I've had back pain for four years. I'll say, well, how come you're coming to me today? Have you seen anyone else? No, I haven't seen anyone else. Um, so why, why, what, what sparked it off that you're now coming to me? And they say, well, actually, I, ju- I got to the point where I can't go for that run with my friends anymore. Mm-hmm. So that's, they didn't want to admit that. They didn't even maybe realize it that themselves, but they didn't have a problem with the pain. They had a problem with what the pain was now stopping them from doing. So that we need to understand this in terms of our rehab process, because am I going to, is that person going to be happy if I just get them out of pain? Because if they want that, they can just go and take a painkiller and it's just, there you go. It's very cheap. Here you go. You're out of pain, but that doesn't necessarily mean that they're going to be able to get back to running. And and is it even the running that they wanted to get back to? Or is it, I actually love running because it's the one time in my week that I get to meet my friends and we go for a run together. So we have to understand their pain points and their internal motivators with this stuff as well. So pain is so tricky, but like, that's how you really keep someone motivated throughout the process as well. Because if their pain goes on the second session after they, they get a little bit of a release or, or whatever, that doesn't mean that it's not going to come back if they just go for a run again. Whereas if we help them understand it's, this isn't about pain, this is about making sure that you're very robust and resilient. And we've, we've sorted out these movements and we've made you a lot stronger so that you can go back and you can go back running for the next five years without this coming back, you know? So maybe that's a big tangent, but that no one is honest with themselves, but that's the clinician and the coach and the therapist and the client have to have, very very clear lines of communication i think if when when especially in the pain world mm, yeah so how have you been navigating that as you've had you know 5000 students that are going through your your program like how do you navigate the the scalability of your program because i yeah. like and I know a lot of coaches battle this is that a lot of the work or a lot of the growth will happen when a trained eye can see what the, mm-hmm. what the patient, what the client is actually doing. Yeah. 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 It's now- impossible. So it's impossible. It's impossible with that, that type of program. Um, and it's not, it's not necessarily designed for that either. You know, it's just like, here's a relatively cheap program, very cheap program that, that you can go and do. And we have support system there. We have a Facebook group with thousands of members in it and, and people post their videos and they talk and they, they, and I have a, an explanation video at the start of it to say, this is not, I'm not saying this is the answer to all of your problems. These are just some of the things that I think I'd love for you to be able to do, you know? So it's, it, it's tricky. It's tricky, but, it, but luckily enough, a lot of coaches and therapists, thousands of them have done that, that program. And then are starting to work with their own clients and incorporate those principles as well. So that um, that's translating over to a lot of amazing results. But that that program is definitely not meant to be the be all and end all or anything like that, you know, so. It's not the intention to fix it. It's almost mm-hmm. just this is the awareness of the principles that need to be done. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Yeah, exactly. And a lot of people get great results. Some people don't get as great results, but I do feel like most people, I would say the vast, vast, vast majority 
learn something about their bodies from it at least learn whoa like 10 physios have seen me and have been kind of doing weird stuff and stuff that hasn't really worked yeah and, and talking about glutes and talking about giving me a rub and all of these things but when I do this these five exercises I realize that I actually can't hold that exercise and my hamstring can't hold that for three seconds and it's like these are things that I really should be able to do, but can't. And I'm starting to learn to, in a good way, these are opportunities, like oppor- not, not like, oh, I'm, I'm a disaster, but like <laughs> I've, lear- I've learned some things here that my body should be able to do. And I, I'm, I'm not quite so good at. And, and I think we're trying to culture or, or generate a culture of people who would see that as an opportunity and not a, a bad thing, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. A gap, a gap, a gap, a gap for growth. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure. So are you, and this is another slight segue. So now, you know, given COVID times, giving our pandemic times, are you still seeing people in person? Or are you primarily coaching online? Just online for now. Mm. Will you Just go online? Yeah, I will. I will. Um, I will. I'm not sure when I could, I could, I could be seeing people in, in person now, but the logistics of it is just very tricky, like in terms of how much, how much precaution and how much all of this stuff that, especially in Ireland at the moment, it's COVID is pretty bad still. So it's, it does, there's, there's a lot going on and I, I want, we're only supposed to travel 5k from our house and all of this stuff. So I will go back, but I'm not, no, I'm also not in a rush because my, my, my calendar is full you know, so I'm, I'm very lucky with that regard. So I will go back. We just finished our new gym and our clinic as well. So I'm, it's, it's looking really good. We finished it there two days ago, I think. So I'm looking forward to getting back in. I, I really like a mixture of like, here's some online, here's some in person. And I think if COVID has taught us anything is that it's, it's important to hedge your bets. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah. I mean, for sure. Hedge your bets and also have multiple streams of income and that yeah. we're just relying on one component yeah big time big time big time it's given us a lot of lessons (laughs) yeah (laughs) big time big time so like and I could fall into the trap of saying right I'm just going to do online work because it's it's going quite well but that might be a mistake too because what happens if the online stuff didn't what happens if the internet crashed or god I I don't know my my Instagram account was was taken down or or whatever so I am it happens a lot. So like, that's my phase of in the business at the moment, I'm trying to work on kind of risk mitigation in terms of making sure I have that Facebook group, the Instagram, a little bit on YouTube and some emails and, and stuff like that. Not, not that I'm trying to dominate all these platforms, but make sure that if one goes down I'm, I'm not completely out of business, you know? Yeah. The inner, you know, the Instagram is borrowed space. You know, we, I, we def- I definitely talk about that all the time. It's borrowed yeah. space. But, um, and, and also too, you know, this is total side, side note, but for me, and what I'm recognizing too, is sometimes people just need in-person connection. Yeah. So yeah. all personalities do well working online and just, just all, and it goes back to knowing yourself. Yeah. Big time. How, you know, yourself in movement is how you got to know yourself in business too. Yeah. Big time. Exactly. Exactly. So any, I think anyone has the potential to, be really good at doing online consultations. A lot of people say, no, I just can't do that. And as soon as they say that, they limit themselves. Mm-hmm. But, but 
which is a load of crap, right? But the, you, of course you can do it. It's a skill that you just learn like anything else. Um, but that doesn't mean that everyone has to do it or everyone would, lo- would love doing it. But I, th- I do think a lot of people could learn a lot from doing some of them online consultations and, and saying, right, I have to use my communication, my words better, my cueing is better, my, uh, my coaching eye has to be better rather than always relying on my hands. Mm-hmm. Or being able to show someone an exercise. Okay, look, watch me. And now you do it. And that's harder online as well. And I don't show anyone an exercise. I just try and coach them through it and say, right, do this, do this, do this. And that's made me significantly better at, at coaching. So mm-hmm. I think there's lessons to be learned. But that doesn't mean everyone has to love it or even want to do it. Mm-hmm. I also think too, you know, that it kind of goes a little bit back to what you were saying about the assessment is that even when people are person or in person, if they don't know what it is that they're looking at in person, then you're not going to know what you're looking at when you're online. No, not a hope. Most you- people's assessment is a load of crap, I think, honestly. Yeah. Like you have to really train that eye and it's a skill that's developed. Yeah. Big time. You have to understand what you're looking for. Like a, a toe touch, a rotation, you can break these down and say like, right, that foot should be doing that. That knee should be doing that. That hip should be doing that. The spine, the pelvis, all of these things. Here's how the joints should be interacting together when they turn. And for instance, like I had someone yesterday who standing up rotates to the left, rotates to the right, rotates to the, they get the same amount. They get around the almost the exact same amount, or at least that's what it looks like to me. But how they achieved that movement was completely different. So when they get around on the right side, really nice movement. You see all the joints kind of articulating. The pelvis starts to get around. When they go on the left side, it's like the pelvis just stops like a third of the way. And then they just pull themselves around with their back and their upper body further. And what's the what's the complaint of this person is oh my my left side of my back is sore when i pretty much do every movement so my left lower back and i'm like just show me a rotation to the left and the pelvis just does not go left so but but to the to the naked eye that's like yeah you can turn left you can turn right but how you are achieving these movements that's what we need to look at what joints are actually loading what joints are not and a, a good efficient powerful I won't, I won't say pain free because pain is very complex, but a system that can share load very, very well is a system where all the joints can just do their own little bit of job and all the muscles can do their job and nothing is getting overloaded and nothing is getting underloaded. And that will never be the case because none of us are perfect, but that is the goal to start to get all these things to share. And that's what we're looking for in our assessment. Mm. That's good. It's and what I'm hearing you say is that you're looking for the root cause. People are always looking at symptoms. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, yeah. And I, it just comes from you know getting a good mentor and learning it. But more than just reading it, right? No one learns a book. No one learns how to re uh, ride a bike by reading about riding a bike. Like you have to get on it and you've got to learn the lessons. And I think mm-hmm. that it's just, that's true for any skill acquisition, which is what we're talking about when we're talking about developing, you know, what to look for, what to assess and what to look for. It's just going to take step yep. and implementation. Yeah. Practice. That's all. That's all it is. Practice. Absolutely. What most people are missing is practice. They're, they're afraid to fail. So they don't do anything. <laughs> Mm, that is so true. That is so true. I'm laughing. I'm laughing because I, my gosh, 
I can't tell you the amount of embarrassing stories I have about things I've said to clients or things that when I was learning, you know, mm -hmm. trying to figure it out, but I'm grateful for those moments. Otherwise I wouldn't know now. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. That's it. You know, a lot of people want to skip steps, but there's no skipping steps. No, no, there is like there is mentors and teachers who help you along the way. But even then I think, and I've had some amazing ones, like incredible ones that I'm very grateful for. But even then I see people trying to be a carbon copy of their mentor. And like, it's like, right, here's the system I learned. So that person has to fit into this box. And here's what my teacher told me or my mentor told me. And you're actually still not learning to see because when you, to see, you have to critically think. And to critically think, you have to be your own person and, and, and step back and try and take away your biases, even though we all have our biases and me included, definitely. But we have to, we have to try and critically think. And that's, that's about taking what all these amazing teachers and people that are out there are teaching and saying, well, how does that fit into what I do and what I see and how I work? So true. I think a lot of people feel that way too. And I think that that also goes like, that's where I feel like imposter syndrome will start to live is that people miss that the critical thinking component. Yeah. This is true in marketing business, in developing your own systems. And so then when, then you start to feel like you're in the noise. Yeah. Big time. Adding your own yeah. thoughts to yeah. it. Absolutely. Yeah. That's, and, and I know you, you obviously coach a lot of people on Instagram and business and stuff. And I do a little bit of that with, with some of the people just I'm teaching them some clinical stuff. And then we talk about that as well, but it's people are, people are looking at the smartest person and comparing themselves to them and saying, well, I can't post because that person, I, what I'm saying, like might not necessarily be as smart as what that other person is saying. I'm saying, well, you're there, there, the people who are on your page are not, are not there for that other person they're there for you and your energy and how you articulate those thoughts and and all of those things that you put into it and your voice and your words so it has to be you have to try and make things into into yours and make sense of them and help people understand them from your perspective and there's just a lot of people just carbon copy carbon copy carbon copy trying to say the same thing and of course it never works of course no one gets attracted to that because it's not you. It's not your personality. It's not your energy. Mm -hmm. Oh yeah, for sure. People are, people forget that your work has an energetic impact mm. in the world. People on a subconscious level can feel when it's yours and, or when it's not. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So, so that's a big thing. Yeah, 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 it is for sure. And also too, I also think people forget specifically when we're talking about Instagram is that the people that they're meant to be working with aren't following everybody. Yeah. We, we, we forget that our context bubble is this big. You can't, you can't see me on the podcast, but it's like so small. It is like 1%. And, and people think everybody's talking about breathing when in reality, breathing was only introduced to me in 2015. And that was when I thought I was like a master trainer. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Like, I mean, yeah. <laughs> yeah i had this conver exact conversation with a uh with a therapist yesterday a physical therapist we were just having a little bit of a chat about our business and um i said oh you come out with a little program on on breathing stuff like you know, people people love you you talk about that stuff it, it, it'd kill it and 
And that was the that was the thing we spoke about because she said, well, everyone's talking about that. Everyone has that program. I said, no, there's like 200 people in the world are talking about that. And like so Kyle Dobbs said to me, we were chatting about something similar, but he said, um, Gymshark has 20 million followers or something on their page. And they're talking about, here's a, here's a glute band, a booty band. And like, so it's like, no, it's just the people that you see are talking about that, but it doesn't mean all your followers are seeing them that same thing, you know? Absolutely. And I look at, you know, I also look at my mom, right? I always, I use her when I start to get into that, like everybody's talking about it. I use my mom as an example, because if you go look at her followers, she's following like two fitness people. Yeah. And one of them's Jillian Michaels. And you're like, mom, (laughs) (laughs) but that, you know, your gen pop people, they are not following all all the people that you follow, not your friends not your colleagues so it's yeah. it's different it's going to resonate different exactly exactly well, all right david i want to be very mindful of your time so for those thank you so much for hanging out with me today so for those of you who want to learn more about you learn more about your programs can you share a little bit about where i should send them i can it's very very easy you can go to davidgrayrehab.com g-r-e-y this is our, our same on Instagram, David Gray Rehab, but this is the first podcast that I've actually said, go to my website because we just launched a new website and it does for, for the first like day, first time ever, it doesn't look like trash. Now there's a little bit of work to be done on it, but um, I'm actually semi-proud to send people there now. So that's where people can go and have a look and that you can see the different programs and webinars and different things like that and whatever, they can just check it out. And if they, if they don't like it, they can delete me forever. No shame. No, that's not good. Well, thank you so much. I really appreciate your time. Thanks for having me on. Thank you for listening to the PT Profit Podcast. If you like this episode, chances are your friends will too. So it would be a huge service to us if you would please leave us a review and share with your friends on your social media channels. When you leave us a review, be sure to take a screenshot of it and email that screenshot to my team at info at bsimpsonfitness.com. And we'll send you a very special Instagram podcast that will show you how to create compelling content so that your ideal clients come to you and you go from wanting clients to a wait list of clients ready for your services. Thank you so much for listening and we'll see you on the next episode.